Welcome, everybody, to What Does the Bible Say About That? This is Will, and I'm here with Reese, and we're going to address different topics throughout this podcast series and see what the Bible says about them. So, Reese, what is our first topic today? I think today we're going to talk about um, God's purpose. Um, we, when, we're, when we were considering this topic, God's purpose, um, there were two thoughts I think that came to mind. The first one was um, when most people talk about purpose, they think about their purpose in life, right? Um, what is my purpose? What does God want me to do? But we are both, I think, under the same conviction, which is the first question that needs to be asked is what is God's purpose? And then after that, you see how you can fit into that. But if you don't know the ultimate plan and what he created human beings for, uh, for and what he desires himself, then it's really hard to find you know, some uh, clarity for your own walk. And the second thing that we were considering is that this topic is loaded. Um, and we could think of it in, from many different angles. It's multifaceted. Um, you can look at it from different perspectives. And so I think we're just going to talk about one of those perspectives today. And that perspective is going to be on the divine romance. One of, I think, what's our, both of our, one of our favorite topics. Um, but before we get into the divine romance specifically, we need to get into the Bible and show that God actually does have a purpose. Like it is appropriate to say that and it's appropriate to explore that topic and you can know what it is. And so our verse, first verse for today is in Ephesians, where Paul brings up this matter. Ephesians 3.11, um, flip into it right now in my Bible. Ephesians 3.11 says, According to the eternal purpose which he made in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there is an eternal purpose which God has. Eternal meaning it spans time. It goes from eternity past to eternity future. And it is his purpose. It's not... Um, something that's just, you know, for us, or it's not something that's like, uh, you know, because we fell, then he had to do this. Um, it's something that ha- he had in his heart before the fall of man and that he will have for all of eternity. And this purpose, um, I think a lot of times when I would talk about this with my, you know, some of my friends in high school, we talk about why did God make the universe? And we'd kind of say, well, nobody can really know that. Um, or he probably doesn't have one. He's God. He's all sufficient. Um, but earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.9, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And so there is something in God's will, something that he wants to accomplish that actually will give him pleasure, that will satisfy him, that will make him happy. That's the biblical language, and so I feel fully comfortable using that. God wants something, and we can be a part of that, which is really marvelous. And so one more verse I'll mention just briefly is Revelation 4.11, which says that he made all things according to his will, and because of his will, they were and were made. So creation itself, the universe, was for this purpose, was for this will. You were made Every listener here, me and Will, we were made for this purpose. This is our purpose, in a sense. This is where we fit. And so where can we go to really start diving into this? Yeah, um, we should go to Genesis to start off Mm. and see what God is doing, what Mm. God wants. So 
it's clear, right? He has an eternal purpose and he has a good pleasure and he has a will. Mm-hmm. And everything was made according to that. Yeah. So the creation of man, we can see two things. So man is made. This is Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So really, I guess that's one thing. But I was thinking of image and likeness being two things. Mm-hmm. So because man is made in the image of God, that's basically a picture. That's another word for image. So when God's looking at man, he's seeing something in himself. He's seeing himself. Mm. And so in that case, when you're describing an image of yourself, as we would call it these days, a selfie, <laughs> you would be describing characteristics of yourself. So you're saying Adam was a selfie of God. Adam's a selfie. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and that's that's actually made clear. This is, you know, the term selfie is something we use today, but Paul refers to this in Romans uh, 5.14. And he says that Adam is a type of Christ. Adam is a type of the one who was to come. Wow. So uh, so what God says about Adam, there's, there's a character, there's a, a certain point in Genesis 2.18 that God makes when he's looking at his selfie, <laughs> a.k.a. Adam. So Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. So there's the first characteristic, or there's basically the characteristic. God's looking at Adam. He's looking at a selfie. And he's saying, It's not good that that that, that person's alone. Hmm. It's not good that he's alone. So he follows in the same verse. It says, I will make a helper fit for him. Mm -hmm. So the thought here is, Adam's alone, and I'm going to make him a helper that's fit for him. And so a fun question that I like to get into and like to ask is, what does God do next? He says this about Adam, and so surely he's going to make him a helper, which he does. But he doesn't make Eve just yet. He does something specific. In verse 19, after he says, man's alone, it says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every birds of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Here's the key. This is the end of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so to me, you know, growing up, this was always um, a really fun topic to get into and a really fun topic to learn about is how Adam named all the animals. Um, But really, he does that for a purpose. He does that to look for a helper, to look for a counterpart. And as he's looking, there's not a helper found fit for him. So this is where it gets very interesting is, is God does something very specific. You know, it, it's strange to me even. Why did God not just form another counterpart the same way he did Adam? You know, with Adam, he, he got the dirt from the ground and, and then he breathed into the breath of life and man became a living soul or a living being. Mm-hmm. But for Eve, he doesn't do that. He does something specific. He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And now, now here's where we're really going to get into the, the types, where Adam is a type of Christ and Eve is a type of the church. So Adam, he falls into a deep sleep. Throughout the Bible, sleep is a type or, or a picture of death. We can see this through the story of Lazarus when, when he, he's sick and he's about to die, and then he eventually does die. The disciples are wondering... Why would, why would we go if Lazarus is just sleeping? And then Jesus explains, well, actually, he's dead. 
that it's it's death. Uh, another another place we see it is when Stephen's getting stoned. He as he's as he's dying, it, it the Bible characterizes it as he falls asleep. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. Mm-hmm. So when Adam's asleep, this is a type of Christ on the cross. And so Adam's asleep, and then what happens is a rib gets taken out of Adam. Something from his side gets taken out. And the, the Hebrew word here for what happens to the rib is built. So what God does is he, Adam falls asleep. He, God takes the rib out of Adam, and he builds a woman. And this woman is Adam's counterpart. And then this is what Adam says when he sees the counterpart. He says, Then man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so this, is, this last verse I just read is very important for later on when we start connecting some of the dots. But, mm-hmm. but the main thing to see here is that Eve was formed in a certain way that made her the counterpart to Adam, made her the helper that was fit for Adam. And so I really think the best place to go from here is, is would be to fast forward to what happens to Christ um, and how he fits into this you know, story, basically, that he's a type of Adam or Adam's a type of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, the, the verse is Romans 5.14 that says Adam is a type of Christ. And so when we're looking at Adam, especially prior to sinning, we are really looking at something of Christ. And as Will's mentioned, he, the way that he, God creates Eve, his counterpart, um, is symbolic of how he gets his own. And so um, Adam's put to sleep just as Christ is, in a sense, quote unquote, put to sleep on the cross. Adam's side is opened. And in John 1934, it talks about the the Roman soldier, you probably remember, piercing his side. His side is open. So both sides are open. From Adam, a rib is taken and Eve is built. And from Christ, blood and water comes forth. And from that, he builds his counterpart. And so Matthew 16, 18 talks about why Christ came, right? He's come. He says, I will build my church. He has this sole focus, what I'm going to do. What am I here for? You say, Peter, I'm Christ, the son of the living God. I say, I will build my church. So he's here to get his counterpart. And he builds his church just like God built the woman. And so the blood and the water is the way that he builds the church. The blood, as all Christians know, cleanses us from our sins. And the water maybe is a little more obscure, but it is what sanctifies us. It's the spirit who's washing us. And I think we should look at these verses in Ephesians 5 where we get this whole thought from. In Ephesians 5, Paul makes the exact same point that we're making um, throughout. It's a famous chapter about, you know, husbands loving your wives and how you should have a relationship with your wife. But it's actually an incredibly deep chapter about this exact topic. And so in verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is the original purchase. This is him originally getting his bride. His, the blood really is what accomplishes this. He purchases the church. 26, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. And so then you have the water coming into play. It is what sanctifies her. It's what makes her ready. Um, and I, just to quickly go back to Genesis, 
Um, you said it's interesting that, right, he didn't form her out of the ground. It's also interesting that uh, going back to the animals, he didn't, you know, thankfully Adam didn't pick any of the animals as his counterpart. <laughs> right, yeah. And in the same way, God wants something that matches him, something that's of the same, you know, right, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And so in producing the church, he's producing something that's like himself. And it's also, well, it's not really interesting, but it should be noted that he didn't create a little girl out of Adam. He created the full-grown woman. That's what he needed. In the same way, God wants a full-grown counterpart. And so this sanctification process that happens through the Word is actually what makes the church a full-grown woman in God's eyes. We might have been begotten of God. You know, we're, we're newborn babes, right? The Bible talks about new Christians as babes, right? Longing for the guileless milk of the word. But we need to grow. We need to grow in life so that we'd be ready for this marriage. And then the final verse, verse 27, is that he might present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So this is the um, this is the goal, that he would have this glorious bride in the end, right? But the next verse is actually Paul connects this whole thought process to Genesis. He then quotes the verse that Will read. And so Ephesians 5.31 says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That's, what is that, Genesis 2.24? Yes. And so Paul is reading Genesis 2, and he quotes it here in Ephesians. And then he says, this mystery, he calls this a mystery. Right. This, this, what seems normal to us, like, yeah, that's marriage. This is a mystery, though, in Paul's eyes. This mystery is great, but I speak with regard to Christ and the church. And so Adam and Eve getting married, um, the formation of Eve is a picture. It's a mysterious type of Christ and his bride, the church. So maybe, I mean, maybe we could go on to the end. Yeah. Because... You know, if it's if this is something eternal in God's eyes, if this is something that if it's His eternal purpose, we should expect to see it at the beginning and in its intent. We should expect to see it in the end in its fulfillment, and then we should be able to trace it throughout the whole Bible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So going going to the end, um, basically, what a lot of a lot of theologians and Christians believe is that when Christ comes back, they call it a couple things. It's it's um, it's the, the, the kingdom, it's the feast, um, it's the marriage, it's the millennial kingdom. And so this is the return of Christ. And so in Revelation 19.7, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And so this is a very, uh, basically this is a key. You know, it, it, we're not necessarily saying that we know the date when Christ is coming back. For sure not. Yeah. But this gives us the reason to why he comes back. This answers the question of why is he coming back? You mm-hmm. know, it's not like he's just sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, up in his throne with his big white beard, you know, whatever we, <laughs> we think. And, and, um, you know, and just, and just, he's, he's picking a random spot on the calendar. Mm-hmm. He's actually looking and waiting for this bride mm-hmm. and she's preparing herself. That's a wonderful point you made in Ephesians five where, that the, the church is being sanctified through the washing of water in the word. Mm-hmm. You know, this gives us, um, this gives us a, a really good way to apply this whole thought, mm-hmm. you know, this whole teaching of the divine romance, which is 
our reading of the Bible, our process of sanctification, our becoming holy is is all it all has to do with this preparation of the bride. Yeah. Which right here in Revelation we're seeing that it leads to the marriage of the lamb. It leads to Christ's return and and this wonderful feast, this wonderful celebration mm-hmm. of Christ gaining his his bride. Yeah. And you know, these verses that we read in Genesis were where you know, Adam says to his wife, he says to Eve, he says, this at last, or this time, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's almost like Adam was longing. He was mm-hmm. waiting. He he wanted something that was coming, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is just kind of my own little thought, but I, I really think that Christ is going to have this same type of attitude, this same, um, you know, these, these same utterance here mm-hmm. is this time. Finally. Finally, yeah. this one matches me. This one is something I can marry, have a relationship with. This one's mature. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something I can have bridal love with. Yeah. And really, this is our progression. You know, the Bible even ends with the spirit and the bride saying, come. Mm. You know, and if, if you just looked at it today, if you looked at the overall situation of, of the church um, throughout the whole world, you know, if we were to pray for the Lord to come back now, his response might be something like, to what? Hmm. You know, I, I don't, I, you know, there's no way for me to gauge the spiritual maturity of the entire church, mm-hmm. but it's not ready apparently because he hasn't come back yet. Mm. And so we can make this claim like, like the bride's not ready. It's not fully matured yet. Mm-hmm. And so our whole goal is individually, you know, we are getting into the word, we're praying, we're fellowshipping with believers, mm-hmm. meeting as the church and, and hopefully per- getting this bride prepared, building basically this bride. Yeah. And, you know, for me, this is where this topic really comes into play. Mm-hmm. It really comes into being applicable to us in our everyday Christian life. It's not just this grand, great, big vision teaching. Um, what we're trying to do is, is basically we're trying to see the whole forest so then we can enter in and start looking at the different, you know, aspects of the forest, looking at how we can mm-hmm. make it applicable. Yeah, that's a huge point. How does this apply to us? And I think the biggest takeaway for me is this verse back in Ephesians 5.26. We need to spend time in the Word. And not just, you know, understanding it doctrinally. God doesn't want the Word to just be something that we know so we can combat atheists, right? He wants the Word to be something that we soak in, becomes our drink, becomes our food, because that actually can change us within, right? He's not... God's not about outwardly beautifying us, about making us just look good. He actually wants to change our soul. He wants to transform us from within. And the way he does that is by our spending time in the Bible in a prayerful uh, way where we consider it. We, um, you know, fellowship with others about it and fellowship with the Lord about it through prayer. And so um, we as Christians, we have to spend time in the word. And this gives us reason. It's the Christian life is not about, okay, I'm saved, now I'm going to heaven. The Christian life is, I've been purchased, and now I need to prepare myself for Christ coming back right. as the bride, right? He wants to have a prepared bride, so I need to get ready. right? And so in our purpose, or our search for purpose in ourselves, this should be on the forefront. I need to be building the church. I need to be helping others get ready and getting myself ready for Christ's return. Um, and then I think one last thought is actually we also need to be romantic with the Lord. Yes. You know, 
If we know Jesus is my friend, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. We know God is my father. That still seems very reverent, though. Um, and it's good. It's true. But also, what about Christ is my bridegroom. He is my husband. I love him with an affectionate love. Right? This is, this is something that I think is, is we're really short on a lot of us believers in having this kind of relationship with Christ. But we have full ground in the scriptures to say this. And God wants us to be like this. Yeah, that's right. Right. You know, that's one of the wonderful things, too, is this isn't just something we're necessarily waiting for. But we're actually entering into today, especially when we start praying these type of prayers of, Lord, I love you. Mm-hmm. You know, Lord, if you love me in, a, in the way that a husband loves a wife, then I want to reciprocate that today. Yes. You know, and just, to, you know, maybe just in conclusion as a, as a challenge to our listeners, um, I, one, I would like to hit some points here throughout the Bible where God sees himself as the husband to man, sees mm-hmm. himself to the husband of his people. And then also in the New Testament where Paul sees his ministry even as a betrothing ministry to Christ. And so here are some verses, maybe you can write these down and look at them later. Is one is Isaiah 54, 5. God's speaking through Isaiah. He says, For your maker is your husband. Also, we see the same thing in Jeremiah, for I am a husband to you. And then in also in Jeremiah. 314, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 314. That was Jeremiah 314. Next verse in Jeremiah is 31:32. I was their husband. Uh, a really cool verse to look at here that, that says the same thing as Hosea 2:16 says, "For you will call me my husband." And even Hosea is is repeating what the the account that happens in Exodus and how the children of Israel were brought into the wilderness. And God basically says that was me alluring the people to myself, basically mm. courting the people to myself and impressing them. And and then in the New Testament, uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven two, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin. And so this is where Paul really reveals that his, his ministry is, is he wants to purify the church, mm-hmm. right? And he's betrothing the church to Christ. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons, you know, basically his whole ministry is talking about, you know, purging out all these negative things and living a, a type of life and being saturated with Christ and seeing Christ and being transformed because he really saw this, that the church is the pure version of Christ. It's the, it, it's the, it's the thing that brings the Lord back, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's a thought that prevails the whole scriptures, and we should be looking for this when we're reading. Mm-hmm. But um, I think this is good for now. Like I said, we'll have to touch on some of the other angles you can look at God's purpose at, but I think this helps give our life a lot of meaning and gives our understanding of the Bible a lot of meaning too. So, but I enjoyed this. It's good. Yeah, me too. Okay. Many more to come. Yes.